Welcome to the Europe is Coming podcast, taking you inside the minds of Europe's best CrossFit athletes and the people behind them. Hey everyone, this is episode one of the brand new podcast, Europe is Coming. I'm your host, Vicky McLeod. We are kicking off the season with an interview with John Singleton, coach to many elite CrossFit athletes. John and I talk about how he started out, his time as a budding Kung Fu martial artist, his discovery of CrossFit and his own competitive career, his transition into full-time coaching and how he came to live and work on the island of Mallorca in Spain. So, let's get started. And I'm with John Single, who is the head honcho for the programme and this is our introductory chat. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Well, how do, where should we start? Should we start with who you are, what you do? How should we start there? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's um, it's a good idea, like in essence, just to give some background as to you know how we got to this point mm. and, uh, and why we're here. So for those people who don't know, my name's John Singleton. I founded the uh, the program uh, five or six years ago and in essence my full-time 100% dedication is working with professional CrossFit athletes and over the years we've had uh, varying levels of success and arguably one of the most successful training programs from Europe. We've taken uh, close to 30 athletes to the CrossFit Games, which for those who, you know, I, I imagine most people listening to this are aware of what the CrossFit Games are, but in essence, they are the, the world championships of CrossFit. So the highest level of our sport. Um, my my background before that, I actually uh, have a master's degree in osteopathy um, and I studied in London uh, for, for that degree. And then prior to that, I was, uh, I actually hated school in my academic career. Why? Um, I I wanted to be outside doing things and Mm. I hated being in a classroom. I'm I'm also dyslexic. And so I really, I really struggled with the, um, the way that we were learning. I think I struggled to contextualize it. I struggled with that. What kind of dyslexia do you have? Um, I don't know what type. There's lots of different types. Okay. I mean, do you struggle to write or read? Yes. That's or maths? Because so, those are lots of different ones. Yeah, they? so actually, so when I was at uh, school, like dyslexia was, um, it was kind of becoming a thing. It hadn't been really, you know, discovered yet as kind mm. of uh, something you're learning. And I remember I always, I really struggled like um, with like writing B's and D's, P's and Q's. So switch stuff around switch stuff around everything would be muddled I really had a hard time like um, with gr- grammar and where to put a full stop because I would write down in my papers I was saying my head and I went, so so anyway it was, it was you know I, at that time it start, started to become more normal that um, you know you'd have people helping these people had dyslexia and various things but also you know I was just I wanted to be outside training doing different things and it was kind of in that moment that I found Chinese martial arts. Oh. And that was my my passion. You know, I was 
from from an age early teens, I was done with school. You know, I didn't want to be there unless I was forced to go. I would not go. I'd just be training, doing martial arts, and and that actually took me to China. So I moved to China when I was eighteen, and um, and I spent a year there in like uh, Kill Bill style. Really? <laughs> yeah. Did you get the outfit? I I did. But, you know. <laughs> Luckily, this is uh, pre-social media, really kind of mainstream. There's internet. no photographic evidence. There, there is, but it's physical, so it's well hidden. Damn. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe we could get that yeah, on another yeah, day. Yeah. Oh, some kind of Halloween costume. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I, I'm pretty sure still at my mum's house, I have the, um, uh, the the old kind of like uh, Chinese martial arts stuff. So, what what would Chinese martial arts consist of? Um, so it was Kung Fu, like kind of classic style Kung Fu. Um, they, they have various, uh, fighting forms of Kung Fu as well over there. And in, in China, it kind of comes like a religion, you know, you have like the main branch, which is Kung Fu, and then it goes into like thousands of different styles. Um, but, uh, you know, I kind of lost slight kind of, I, I was very, um, into the whole, methodology the theology of it and everything behind that but then you know i i then transferred over to uh, to boxing so I, I then boxed and it was actually in uh, when i was boxing uh, whilst i was studying as well and that's when i tr- transitioned over to crossfit you know basically I, i'd be boxing that was my training and you know i'd get cut or swelling over my eye or something and then obviously when i started seeing patients in my degree Mm. Like the, the clinic tutors were like, you know, you can't you can't rock up seeing patients with the cut, black eye with a black eye or a cut, you know, they're just like that's not cool. And so no. I had a friend at the time, this is like two thousand six, two thousand seven, you know, um for CrossFit very early days. Yes. And he was like uh he was like, you know, you're not fit. Uh, you know, I'm fitter than you kind of uh, oh, yeah. e- ego thing and so we worked out together and it was the first time I trained with someone who also pushed hard in a different training context. Mm. I absolutely loved it, having someone to push against. And we just loved the, the hard training because... Mm. How old were you then? Um, yeah, 22 maybe, 22, 23. And, and, you know, CrossFit back then, this is, you know, we're like 14, 15 years ago, mm. you know, like a long time ago. There were no CrossFit gyms that would be in a park. And and that style of training wasn't popular. You know, these days you go, every gym has a uh, CrossFit gym or whatever it may be. Yeah, like some kind of cross training, functional fitness kind of thing going it, on. Yeah, exactly. everyone's got a bit of it. Everyone's got a wall ball. Everyone's got a wall ball. Everyone has this hard kind of training. And back then, you know, it wasn't, it, it was wasn't more, the fashion to it train It was exercise and yeah, Zumba exactly. and um, step. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, it's true. It's like the the... 14 years ago, this style of training was mm. just not done. Like, it was done in, like, boxing gyms or, you know, really raw, old-school training. Like, there were some guys in the in the US um, who were kind of moving into this this style. But CrossFit, for me, you know, was really a emotion shift in the world, whole world of training. You know, I think it's gone well beyond the actual, um, just the CrossFit gyms, you know. It, it style of training changed like the training world did it change you yeah yeah you know i i I think i'd have always trained Mm. Uh, the biggest change in my training was using weights so like i always trained hard i love training hard the feeling etc everything was done at body weight Mm -hmm. 
you know, so you skipping, push-ups, running, sprints, etc. But we didn't use weights. And that transition of um, conditioning plus weights was the biggest change for me. Like, I remember in the boxing gym, because, uh, you know, the boxing gym had weights, but no one really used them. But I'd do grace, and I'd do my boxing session, and then do grace, and I'd you know, just kill myself mm. for, like, you know, how long doing grace. And, uh, and that was quite transformative, uh, for me and my training was the using an external object really. How often were you training every day or? Yeah, the, the martial arts, you know, this is another thing. The martial arts, there's no rest, you know. Well, in China, we'd have one rest day. But really, you, you do something every day. That was the mindset. More is better, more is better. And then CrossFit came in with the classic like three on, one off. It's mm. the old school, still on dot-com programming where you'd have three work, three training days, one rest day. Yeah. And that was another big change is that then I started having rest days, you know, which were, you know, it, you, you always did, did you more was better. Yeah, 100%. Like, you know, you were like, you needed to be training, doing things. And uh, and so, like, rest days were another novelty. So it changed the mindset again. Yeah. You know, diet was another big thing. So, so you know, it was starting to look back there. There were actually lots of things that got introduced, you know, mm. in China. In China, you know, like, literally you're eating rice and vegetables you know meat was a luxury it's just and it wasn't like a conscious choice it was just what was available yeah um, you know and it wasn't that i was you know it's just the martial arts in china are done for a poor section of the society because what tends to happen in china is if you can't afford to send your kids to school the cheapest option is to send them to in essence these martial arts schools you know there are tens hundreds of thousands of kids in china doing this and basically, it secures you with a military job or a job as a bodyguard. And so they just train these kids to do martial arts, and that would get you in some kind of security or military world. But these kids are from poor farming, farming mm. families, and the, and the parents could basically just afford enough to get them some kind of physical education to get a later job. Otherwise, they'd just be at the farm, etc. Going through. And what was your intention when you went to China? For the year, why did you go to just to improve to become what a, a martial artist? You know, I, I I wanted to be a martial artist. That was you know, there's no there are competitions, but but there's no like that was just the life. You know, a lot of these a lot of the Chinese martial arts that that's what they did until their you know in their in their later years all yeah. the way through. You know, it was a career of in China from like five years old to until you die it's a lifestyle it's a lifestyle yeah. and, and that's so there was no real end goal it was just to get better um, uh, but it, you know it's hard times like no one spoke English there how there did you no get person. on? Uh, struggled <laughs> also there wouldn't have been Google Translate either no no I mean I, did I used, you have a huge dictionary? A, a dictionary you can't even use that because it's all all in, yeah, in, in the yeah. characters. They use they have something called pinion, which is like a romanized version of the the characters. So that's kind of how you get through the the learning the characters with this thing called pinion, which is the the romanized version of yeah of um, um the language of Mandarin, yeah. And and anyway, you know, back in the, so there's no. I, I used to be able to use the phone once a week to call home. And that was the only time I didn't speak English. And Your pair, pair of yeah, parents. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and it was like a 20-minute walk through the parks, through the streets to get to the one internet cafe to, to go to uh, send emails. You know, you, know, you see that the advance. like heaven. 
in, in some ways, <laughs> maybe for a short period, but um, but yeah, you know, I think the internet completely transformed things. You know, now if I was in China, you have like complete access twenty four seven to yeah. to the world. But back then, you know, the internet. And this is like two, This is like probably you know, pushing twenty years ago. And, and I suppose those technological China, uh, changes have occurred big time. Yeah. So you're doing boxing. You go. You're, you're introduced to CrossFit. Mm. You're studying as an osteopath. Mm. Do you suddenly become John the CrossFit coach, or does it uh, so evolve my, through the years? How did you yeah, my make that transition? My original intentions were becoming an athlete. And so you know, I qualified through to uh, European regionals. Um, I've been with teamers a few times, and, and you know, I, I love training. That's what I did. I, wa- I wanted to compete. And back then, so you know, we have to. You always have to take yourself back to when where the sport was. It was in a very different place, and so you'd have this like hybrid coach athlete scenario where I've been coaching uh, via Chinese martial arts since I was young as well, and like sixteen, seventeen when mm. I'm coaching. And so you know, it'd be a learning process of like things were being discovered. You know, you went from kipping pull-ups to butterfly pull-ups, weightlifting technique. You know, mm. everything was this new world of discovery. And so as you're learning, you're helping other athletes, etc. So I was very much in this kind of hybrid athletes coach. And then I made a very conscious decision in 2014 to stop any competitive CrossFits. I was like, yeah, I want to be involved in the sport. I'm not going to make it to games level. Um, but I want to be involved in the sport. I want to be helping others. How did you... How did you come to the decision though? Did you just have a just did you knew, just have a bad dream and wake up and think that's it? I'm, it's not going to happen for no, me. Yeah, I knew that I wasn't good enough. You know, like I knew that I I didn't have the potential to get to where the ultimate goal, which is the games, as an individual athlete. Um, and you know, I was I remember it was actually uh, there's one distinct moment. I was at a competition in Spain, and uh, there's a a famous Spanish Spanish athlete who back then was a team who's recently or more recently came to team camps and stuff called Brian Hernandez Mm -hmm. and uh, you know he was like I don't know 16, 17 at the time probably and uh, and I just beat him at the competition right and at that moment in time I was probably like mid-twenties something like that and uh, and I was like wow you know 16, 17 year olds are uh, are nipping at my heels I'm not necessarily where I want to be uh, and you know, I always loved the coaching, so it wasn't a hard transition. I was just like, I, I loved the coaching and was very excited about that. And I realised that me being an individual athlete wasn't going to match my aspirations, and so that's when the transition occurred. So you didn't have any kind of feelings of disappointment or or, or, or any struggle with it. It was an easy decision to make. It was an easy decision. Yes, it actually, I didn't struggle with it that much no I was like it felt I, right it felt right and, and you know it was like I'd had you know it's, it's by no means an illustrious career but you know I'd, I'd, I'd qualified for what was then European regionals I'd um, been on teams both in Europe and in, in Latin America so I felt like I'd had an experience mm. um, and you know, and also ironically I I was always more dedicated as a coach than an athlete. As an athlete, discipline of of being two sessions a day, 
doing these things. It's, it's very hard work. You need to be extremely consistent. And strangely, I found that I was more dedicated to my athletes than I was to myself. And that was an interesting one uh, for me. So I was kind of happy to make that transition. And then when I, I lived in Argentina for a period and I was very involved with the Toluca team mm-hmm. and kind of at that point already, that was 2014 that I, that I went there as well. Um, and, and I was kind of helping out with the team. Uh, and there were some great coaches there. And I was very inspired by them and what they were doing. Then I came back to the UK. Not UK, sorry. I came back to Spain um, after Argentina. And, and so at that point, I was uh, decided to help Rob um, from CrossFit New Yorker. And there were a few other athletes that we were helping out. And then it started to evolve of me helping athletes, athletes reaching out, and then the process kind of um, started rolling. From the there. wheels got moving. Yeah. Why did you choose to live in Mallorca? It was an ex-girlfriend. <laughs> so I hate. I actually love brought you here. Love, love brought me here, and um, like a UK impression of Mallorca was not good. Oh no. And I was one of those people. Yeah. Why would I want to go to Mallorca? You know, like I have zero desire. Yeah. I had the same yeah. total view of Mallorca before I came here the first time. Ugly, full of drunk people. But that's like a tiny, tiny part of the island. That's Magaluf. Yeah. And the Germans have got the same, actually, with Aranel. But yeah. the rest of the island is free to enjoy. Well, this is it. You know, I came and I was like, wow, this place is incredible. Mm. And, uh, and since I first came over, I've really not looked back. You know, I've, I've travelled a lot. So I, I've not lived anywhere else in the last like eight years or something but i have been in different places for extent like extended periods of time so uh i I think that's an important like you know i've not necessarily lived here for eight years but i've always this has always been the only place i've lived in the last eight years um it's where you would call home exactly yes without question yeah i have no desire to return to the uk and we're, and we're actually recording this in your gym. Yeah. Yeah, so we, we uh, it's like a year old now or something. Happy birthday. Yeah, thank is you. It, a, it is a year. Uh, June 1st is when we officially open. So, yeah, the, the, we were supposed to open during COVID. Bit of a nightmare, obviously, going through. So we're now in a box. Um, and, and the box is actually focused far away from... Um, our athletes mm. world and we wanted to create something that helps uh, a wider community you know because we we do believe that this you know this, this health longevity and, and all of these brilliant things that um, happen through training and we wanted to be able to help people who aren't athletes you know it's like i was very people like me yeah exactly well people like me you know i um, <laughs> i'm not i'm not training anymore like i used to and so i wanted to help myself um, I wanted to be able to help others. And that's why I was like, you know, I had to be quite, because obviously I'm surrounded by athletes. You know, when athletes come into the gym, they're like, hey, let's put all this advanced stuff that is not going to be useful for general population. So we, we were quite strict at the start. And it, it's nice. I think people really see the benefits of community now. Being in the gym here yeah. and being with athletes as well, you're a super busy guy. You're running how many businesses? Two we, we, or three? We have, we have uh, two companies, but then they um, they have kind of side branches as well. But we have two main companies. 
the program, the actual mm. training program, which you set up how many years ago? Uh, five or six. I, I can't remember the exact date. Does that take up most of your time then? Yes, in and around. There's kind of two. There's the business side of things, but then there's also the coaching side of things, mm. which I think the one thing you have that I make the distinction with professional CrossFit athletes because that's an important distinction for me. That the athletes that um, I work with are all in. You know, they they literally, in essence, don't do anything else apart from train and compete. And therefore, you know, they're dedicating their whole lives. So my dedication needs to match that uh, mm. as a coach, I feel. And, uh, and so that's a big part of, of what I do. I still coach. You know, I was with the guys this morning doing a swim session. Uh, we, we, have a, we have other coaches that we work with, but I'm still there to, to help assist uh, when there's another coach. Or, you know, uh, we've changed things slightly, but, uh, you know, running individual athletes through the sessions. And, and, and so it's a significant amount of work, um, just present work, and then also you know, dealing with the emotions of, uh, of a competitive sport as well. Yeah. I and mean, an average day for you must involve programming, supporting, helping with mindset, mm. talking about nutrition. I mean, do you take all of those things on or do you farm out any of that to other people uh, a combination of both so I, I think that I may have an overview role of the athlete and if there's something that I'm like okay this, this specific area needs some work we'll then go to a specialist in order to get the help there and so you know we're kind of directing the car a little bit and being like okay you know, are we making these, these improvements that we need are we getting the results that we need and if yes, okay, let's keep doing that. What can we improve on? And if we're not, then we go, okay, why are we not? You know, am I the best person for this job? Yes or no? Mm. If I'm not, then it's like, okay, then we need to find someone else who can step into that role. You know, like swimming, for example. I believe that for a CrossFit level, I could take most CrossFitters to some form of competitive swimming. You know, am I a great swim coach? No. So for... So for Jacqueline and, and Gabby now, they need, you know, I want to take them to a completely different level of swimming. Mm. And therefore, um, I'm getting the help of a, a swimming coach on the island, Lorenzo, who's extremely good. And therefore, in that instance, you know, he becomes a lead coach of their swimming. Uh, and I'm there to, you know, he's like, you know, John, go get me a towel. Or That's your job. Towel. Yeah, you know. So uh, the, the people that you have, your athletes that you have mm. currently on the on the roster, is Jacqueline Dostrom, mm. Gabriela Megala, who else? And Christoph Horvath. And Christoph. So I I cut down my athletes that I work with. It's, you know, in essence, previously you could say that every athlete on the program was my athlete, mm. um, and then it's got less and less because we it's a combination of things one I've now uh, developed and got a great team of coaches around so I'm not the only coach with the program and it just means that athletes get better attention you know um, the athletes who have made that commitment to come live on the island I will commit to them uh, and the athletes who are living where they are you know we have a great team of coaches and support network to support them in their home environment so you have 
quite a few elite athletes actually training where they are, but mm. following your program. It, exactly. So, it, especially in Europe, we you know we've we've had great results on a European level. We've we've had amazing results throughout the throughout the years, and and that is thanks to kind of the support of our coaches as well. How do you spot potential for an athlete? I mean, do they do they come to you or do you reach out to them? How does it work if somebody's interested to train with you? Yeah. How do you make that decision? Uh, usually, people will will reach out. Um, it works in different ways. Either people reach out, um, or we have athletes who are following the program, and you know, we'll go to competitions with them, uh, watch their growth, etc. And if they have the desire, and we see they have the potential, then. You know, we will start, um, uh, you know, it, developing that. And what would you say are the qualities that you look for in an athlete? Um, so, physical qualities. The, the most, arguably, you need a baseline of strength. But oh, yeah. So you need a baseline strength, and you know that might just be raw strength, but you need to be strong. Mm. You then need to have a good conditioning base. Arguably, the conditioning can be developed more than the strength. We have kind of a greater potential in order to do that. And then you need the ability to learn new skills, kind of technical development. So as an overview, those kind of physical attributes that uh, that we look for. And then it's like, are we a good fit? You know, we have a certain style of training, of working, of, of our personalities. And, you know, if, uh, and I think this, this kind of fits into the podcast and everything of, of our ethos, our brand, our, our way of working, you know, that's our style. And so if the person is not going to fit with that style, then, you know, ultimately, even if they have those physical talents, we might not be a good fit and therefore there's no point in, in Yeah. Mindset is obviously a very important aspect of, yes. of this because it, it takes a lot of, I hate that word sacrifice because it's not that's not the right word. You, it, you take a committed choice yeah. from the from the athlete's point of view to yeah. put themselves into the position where they are training twice a day. They have to maybe if they've got a job as well, or there's yeah. lots of things that come into it that they have to really weigh up whether or not they can make those changes. Yeah, I think you're right. I think the word sacrifice is hard. I think when you start looking at the sacrifices, it's it, life becomes hard. So if you're constantly looking at sacrificing something in order to do this, it's mm-hmm. like, well, you know, can we can we reframe that mindset and go, actually, I have the opportunity to do this. You know, I want to do this. I want to compete. And, and, and I think that's an important distinction. It's like if you view everything in your life as being sacrificed for being an athlete, then it's going to be a hard journey. Yeah. And realistically, everything is your perspective on the, the situation, you know, mm-hmm. different people's views on on certain things are, are ultimately what determines their actions on, on that. And so I think having those mindset attributes are very important. You know, we don't necessarily distinguish between that. Is some, we, we look to create a, sport, a supportive environment, but quite often with the athletes that um, get to this level that I start working with, they, um, you know, they already have the drive, the desire. Mm. They have those things in place. Otherwise, they wouldn't have got to that no. that point. And then, you know, we're facilitating they are in a comfortable environment in order to do what they enjoy doing. So given all the perfect things that have been put together, how do we feel that, how do you feel that your athletes are going to fare over the next competitions? We've got Madrid coming, we've mm. got Rogue, we've got Dubai, and you've got guys 
competing at all of those. And how, is everybody ready? Yes. You know, we we now uh, choose and select our competitions quite carefully mm. um, because of the stress on the athletes. And, you know, that's, that's what we'll do. We have a long off period for the games, then we're um, building back up now for the kind of competitive off-season. So what kind of, what would a typical day, training day for these guys look like? Um, so we take a typical day, uh, arrive to the gym, uh, nine o'clock. They'll go through some kind of warm-up routine um, that they will have, and that will take quite a long time, you know, possibly around an hour. Uh, they will then do their, their first training session. And, you know, we're probably looking at like a three-hour window now where they're training, they have a break, similar thing for the afternoon. Uh, and that's their day, you mm. know. That's, in essence, it's like in the gym, they're probably in the gym, say, eight hours or so, but there's there's a rest in there, rest periods, etc. But uh, they're basically working a nine-to-five, just training. Just with their bodies. Yeah. So the, so the, the point of this podcast is to talk to those guys. Yeah. So I'm hoping that our next interview will be with Gabby or with Jack or with Christoph, whoever's available first. And are there any questions that you think I should ask them? Um, so I think a lot of people just uh, are interested, as you say, what makes someone tick. Hmm. You know, what is, why, why do this? You know, yeah. for me, why, why coach? Why, why do those things? And I think that, I, I think the, the podcast to me holds two desires. First is that, you know, we can get exposure to European athletes and show our qualities and, and our culture. And, and the second is so that people can learn understand maybe pick up things that help people on their journey and their competitive be it a competitive uh crossfit career or able to kind of extract some analogies and apply that to their day-to-day life so i i think that holds the purpose of, of why we're doing this and i always think it's important you know that the people get to know know yourself and uh me yes well. being the um, yeah <laughs> But you know, I think it's important because you know, um, because you you obviously came to me um, regarding the podcast. Yeah, it's my brilliant idea. Yeah, I'm very proud of it, and I explain why I'm proud of it because I love CrossFit. I love the sport. I love doing CrossFit. I um been doing it since um, 2016 um, through various injuries, but I still enjoy it. I love the community. I love the feeling of the, of the, I love the social aspects of it. I love training hard with my friends. I love the PRs. I love all of that stuff. And I completely empathize with people like Jacqueline and Gabby when I see them pushing themselves to the limits because I push myself to my limits. And I just love the idea of knowing more about them and more about what makes them tick. Mm. Last year, I got the, because my job, my, my regular job, apart from chatting to you, is uh, to write and photograph events in Mallorca and, and work for different businesses. And last year and previous to that as well, I got to photograph a lot of CrossFit athletes. Last, was it last September, we did the online yeah, it was September uh, 2020. Yeah, so September 2020, when all of the um, the top was it the top 20 athletes or top 30 athletes 
got to had to all had to compete online in the not the CrossFit Games year, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I was taking uh, pictures for that weekend with Gabby. I watched her push herself to her limits there and watched all the dramas, the emotions, and was really impressed with the incredible pressure that she found herself under and how she coped with that. And then again, just gone in June time, when we did the online semi-finals with all the girls here, yeah. And that was, again, another incredible experience. I have so much respect for these people and what they choose to do. And I am excited to get to talk to more of them. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that, you know, this is this is the, the kind of crucial part. Of it. And hopefully we, you know, we get to get an insight into the minds of European CrossFitters, you know, mm. because I, I'm lucky enough that I, I spent my whole life with with competitive CrossFit athletes uh, from from around the world, you know, from America, yeah. Zoom, wherever it may be. And and there's something unique in the European mindsets that I really hope that we can um, uh, we can expose and and you know start to hopefully get it. You know, in essence, it is to get exposure to that and and allow it to grow and and develop. Bring it on. Yeah. Let's do it. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe for the next edition, which will be a review of the Madrid CrossFit Championship with John. Coming up in future episodes, we're going to have exclusive interviews with some of the world's best athletes. I can't wait. Until then, thanks a lot and goodbye. Don't miss the next episode. Subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts. Europe is Coming is a programme production and hosted by Vicky McLeod.